I V M. This is Storytellers and Storytellers live on tape. I'm Vineet Kanavar, and welcome to another solo transmission episode. I almost didn't record an episode this week. Seeing all the COVID carnage around us, I've been struggling to work up the motivation to do much over the last week or so. It felt strange to follow up on guests who might have someone maybe suffering in the family or or think of episode ideas when to me it seemed like all everyone really wanted to do was talk about how they're feeling, to be able to express some kind of human contact or just share their state of mind. This second wave has really exposed how privileged and frail our lives really are. Everywhere you could see there's been tragedy abound. Tweets that started as a cry for help turned into 280 character obituaries in a matter of minutes as as we all witnessed the simultaneous failure of nearly all kinds of government and social preparation for this. We've also witnessed social media respond to it in the sort of community feeling coming together to help those that could be helped. There have been so many heroes who have stood up to be counted lending their reach or contacts or tech skills or or just doing whatever anyone who had actually prepared for the surge in the pandemic would do i try to avoid doom scrolling i try to manage my screen time and and limit my exposure to the vast theater of impressing the internet that twitter usually is but it really gives you pause and you have to really admire the courage of people coming together and helping others out and enabling what could be a my a minute chance of somebody's lives life being saved it it just makes you wonder what would have happened if the powers that be the people with all the resources had really actually prepared or shown that kind of will to prepare would we really be in this situation and this is what what really got me down over the past few weeks it started when my folks got covid and i spent a lot of time reading about it and treatment at home uh, or in the hospital what kind of medication what their side effects are um it started there and and over the last few weeks it just turned into an endless doom scroll of of me consuming news about covid and it got me really down and i got completely disillusioned with this sort of general carnage that was at least partially avoidable even while the ipl sort of continues uh, in the background in just letting you know that you're living in sort of parallel universes at the same time all of this on top of a year of working from home over the past couple of months especially the impact of covid has hit different not just outside in the world to india but but also home and to me personally and for the first time in a long time my enthusiasm to do things was almost exhausted and then on friday or last saturday an old friend of mine called and he just wanted to talk to me about how he had been feeling the same way and that's when i realized that just talking about it really helped we also started talking about ways that we could deal with this to get out of the rut to feel more motivated to be to be more just more motivated whether at work or whether at home and uh, we talked about how journaling was helping or how having intentionality would would really help us break this rut and it it really felt like that conversation uh, was what i needed as a boost we talked about how you know you can get back to having better creative output and that conversation really helped and to me it just reinforced the 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 thing that people say about about mental health is to just reach out and talk to people who might be feeling the same way and it just gives you sort of a different perspective and uh, sometimes gives you the lift that you need to get motivated and so with a prayer for strength 
for everyone around and a wish for your good health and a big helping of the show must go on here's this solo episode and we'll be back with more guests next week i also feel like i've never given solo episodes a more sustained run on storytellers and story sellers so over the next 12 to 15 minutes or so you can hear me talk about the european super league that wasn't um the oscars that was but no one saw it something called initiative q and some thoughts on grief in the mcu now before the second wave took over all the news that was relevant football fans were treated with a front row seat to first an assault on the game as we know it and second its disintegration over a week of capitalism inspired madness so here's what happened with the covid year hitting their finances really hard the world of football especially big football clubs has been bracing with debt to the tune of millions of dollars to try and combat this the business heads of a few arbitrarily chosen super football clubs got together and announced that they were going to start a new closed shop league where they would be permanent members playing each other week on week million, making millions for themselves in a deal financed by jp morgan this league would not have any promotion or relegation for these members ipl guys know don't know what that means anyway but basically a closed shop league where they would have no consequences for losing and their financial interests would be safeguarded the numbers being bandied around for this european super league were to the tune of 300 to 400 million euros a year to put that into context uh, barcelona real madrid manchester united a bunch of other clubs have debts that are as large as 500 to 600 million for which interest payments over the last 10 to 15 years have amounted to over a billion dollars right bankers am i right now what's happened is these 12 clubs football clubs from three countries including real madrid barcelona liverpool man city man united uh, juventus both milan clubs unilaterally in the middle of a season announced that to escape debt they were going to be now part of this new league Uh, this new league they said was aimed at emerging fans from around the world specifically asia and africa where these clubs were the biggest draws now while it is true that four or five clubs or six or seven clubs tend to have 80 to 90% of the fans in these emerging markets it is no, in no way uh, can you say that uh, just repeating the same teams or or fans here would want to see the same clubs play each other over and over again right more on that later but the fact was that these clubs thinking that since they are the ones who bring in most of this revenue they should be allowed to do this breakaway super league play each other make a lot of money while the rest of football stands and watches but all of football at least english football did exactly the opposite of that right aghast at this sort of cash grab happening at the top of the game that they love and it's been happening for a while but not, never something so blatant the uk media the fans even the government completely lost it right yeah the government even the government got involved i found myself agreeing with boris johnson that was different and strange but to truly understand this though here's a bit of perspective about football in the uk the beautiful game is a grassroots movement around the world almost around the world it's a game played by working class people especially in britain it's really tied very closely to working class cultural institutions in specific areas most of these football clubs are 100 120 140 years old they're steeped in history and cherished traditions that are local and unique for example manchester united used to be a railways football club 
Everton and Liverpool were born out of church congregations. Arsenal was a club for munitions workers. Over the last few years, these local fans who have carried the history of their clubs for over 100, 110 years in the last 20, 30 years, they've had to share this with a large, increasingly global fan base, right? This has made the game of football richer. It's created a better looking TV product. It has made bigger stadiums. It has made clubs more money. But what's also happened is that the local fans have, have had to bear most of the prices or most of the costs for making this game so big, right? The UK viewer has in the last few years then seen that their love of generations has been monetized like nobody else's business. Well, the costs of going global have really been borne by them. Ticket prices for stadium games have gone up 4x because of the rise in global demand. TV subscriptions have gone up to 100 pounds a month for the Premier League for the same games that they could watch earlier at, at a quarter of the price. The local fans, termed legacy fans in the Super League strategy, wasn't where then the growth was. The growth would come from emerging fans in Asia and Africa for these super clubs. And seeing this blatant cash grab, the fans were absolutely livid. They were livid not just because of this capitalist exploitation of the clubs that they feel, felt so passionately about, but at the manner in which it was presented. In a manner that completely disregarded the fact that Football was not just a show, it was truly a competition. There were player media, player sentiments involved, there were fan sentiments involved. It was an important part of culture and not just a show that you can pick up and start playing somewhere else as these big clubs decided. So fans, media, government, they all come together in the defense of UK football culture, deeming that only 12 or 20 clubs led by American owners who don't really understand fan culture, who have just bought these clubs as investments, they can't decide what's going to happen with the future of these clubs. The fans mobilized online and on ground. The media mobilized quicker. There was a constant stream of information, exposes, opinions, a truly galvanized front presented by the fans and the media on this. And uh, on ground as well, fans did demonstrations outside Chelsea. There was a break-in at Man United where the fans went up to talk to the manager and express their uh, displeasure. And Arsenal fans who stepped up Uh, their demand for the owners to leave, right? Um, Spotify founder Daniel Ek and three other former Arsenal players have offered to buy them out as well. Overall, fans and media and players put a stop to this capitalist land grab over the course of 72 to 96 hours. It disintegrated very, very quickly. Um, and it was also put forward really poorly. It wasn't a grand pitch for something that felt like it was a required gap in the market. It was something that came from inside the clubs who have overspent and managed their finances badly, being hit by COVID now, seeking ways to take the game away from the fans who really make the game. It was an ill-thought-out plan and there are a lot of interesting learnings for me out of this about the business of sport. First and foremost, do not mistake the events for the culture. Manchester United versus Real Madrid or Bayern versus PSG, which was an epic two-legged tie this year in the Champions League, they only retain their epicness when they happen once or twice in a season with chance and randomness of playing other smaller, unequal rivals, bringing in a new dimension for sports fans. That's why they tune in week on week, even if their team is playing poorly, simply because the story of their club is bigger than uh, how they performed in their last match. There's so much more that fans love about their clubs than just watching them play the big teams over and over and over again. Simply playing the big teams over and over again would reduce the epicness 
of these titanic clashes between champions of two leagues or two countries uh, to simply a TV event to be consumed ad nauseum and just make some people rich. It's it's something that fans just would not stand for, right? So the first learning being, don't mistake events for the culture. What gets televised, what gets broadcast, what gets talked about are vastly different things than what gets shown for profit. Uh, the second is that the business might own the trademark, right? These clubs might be owned by uh, large American conglomerates or groups, but the players are the teams and they're spiritually owned by the fans. Keeping the fans and the players involved in every decision is massively important. The European Super League was announced suddenly, overnight, without consulting any party. And that's left a lot of bad blood in, in the way that the sport is being governed. Already, there's been a lot of consternation about how UEFA is handling it, how FIFA has been hit by corruption scandals over the last few years. But club football uh, was still considered a place where fans could be party to most of the decisions. Uh, Germany, for example, has a rule where all clubs or most clubs most should be owned by 50 plus 50% plus one um, of the fans. And in that regard, this whole approach that the American owners had for the European Super League just felt like a travesty. And even for players, right? They're the ones who, who are the connect between the fan and the money. That's why fans turn up to watch them every week, right? They're already tasked with playing 60 games in a season. The fans also know this. And they were not considered worthy enough to be consulted before this uh, European Super League decision was taken. So all in all, just a really ridiculous capitalist land grab that was completely uh, stopped in its tracks by player and fan opposition who said, nope, no more further exploitation of our game and felt like the most punk rock way of seizing the means of production that I've seen in recent times. The third big learning for me was that Asia and Africa are truly now the biggest drivers of the future of the consumer economy. The top European clubs understand this. They have massive fan bases in these countries. These geographies, they themselves don't have very, very strong club brands who are monetized in the way that European brands are monetized. And glamorized in the way that European brands are, football brands are glamorized in their respective markets. And the global commercial engines of American bankers and European clubs is taking aim at this fortune at the bottom of the fan club pyramid in far off lands from where the clubs actually originate. They're dubbed the emerging fans and the sheer numbers from these regions are significant for these clubs. And they're, and they're going to cause a lot of heartburn for British fans if attempts like the ESL come back to haunt us. As a Manchester United fan, I'm kind of delighted that this whole ESL thing happened and it broke down very, very quickly. Um, not just because it meant Man United's unpopular CEO, Ed Woodward, resigned footballs, but football's commercialization has become too blatant and the ESL is just a symptom of a larger malaise. There are clubs with over $500 million or 500 million euros, sorry, in debt with no part to solvency. TV revenues are milking fans and paying up untenable salaries to players. There's so much optimism that with this kind of direct fan action, there will be more momentum to reclaim the game. As an Asian Man United fan though, for over two decades now, it feels like the businessmen will truly never understand fan culture anymore. And they will end up driving a stake between their own fan bases if they continue this blatant commercialization spree. I don't think any Asian fans want to see their clubs play each other 10 times a year. And 
I don't think that's the kind of product that that Asian fans are interested in either. It's really strange when 45, 50, 60 year old men try and posit what's going to be the future generations demand for in terms of entertainment and that's what led us to this point. I think like I said no Asian fans really want to see just the same 10 clubs play each other 10 times a year. If you really care about building bridges with the Asian fans and the larger football pyramid etc it just makes more sense to invest more in grassroots asian football or touring programs or creating partnerships with um, asian and african clubs or creating the broadcast infrastructure to taking these clubs to more fans uh, i think these are efforts would have that would have carried more favor with asian fans uh, than the ill-fated esl if you are interested in reading more about the esl check out the coverage on the athletic i really really admire the athletics a uh, depth in which they cover football culture you should check it out too this is not a paid ad from the esl over to the oscars yep those happened they really did i kid you not but guess what less than a third of the number of viewers who saw the first oscars on tv in 1953 saw it in 2021 there were less than 10 million viewers this time around compared to 40 million viewers estimated in 1953 oscars viewership has been on a slide here on year ever since the turn of the century and titanic but the last few years there has been a sharp drop in the viewership um, with this year 2021 being a record low again the golden globes also massively dropped in viewership and it seems like these institutions are suffering from a sort of irrelevance in the age of the internet the oscars have tried a full throttle launch for cultural relevance in the last few years right they've expanded the number of films they've tried to consistently solve for their historic lack of diversity by awarding women and people of color nominations and awards they stacked the shows with popular hollywood elite coming in talking to fans in a sort of moralizing posture and they've constantly exuded sort of a liberal politics in their pr packaging to attract a millennial audience but none of this is really working for them right it feels like there's just more and more proof of the erosion of the cultural capital of 20th century entertainment shows and institutions like this it to me this feels like a logical next step right it's a logical shift a step forward for the netflix generation we've also already seen this happen with music spotify and tiktok are now sort of de facto hits charts it's where hit songs get made it's where old hit songs go viral again those are much more relevant now than uh, than a billboard um, as a single point source of charts and half of the oscar movies nominations list this time around was from ott streaming platforms anyway more and more irrelevance will set in for these extravagant affairs to celebrate movies and movie stars i feel like as video turns to video games for the next generation um yep i said that video turns to video games for the next generation incidentally the game awards is a show that's actually growing instead of tv these awards are streamed on youtube twitch and twitter and it's a kind of a show that celebrates the best video games of the last year that said did you watch the oscars i didn't i almost completely forgot about it in tracking covid news and i caught up on the news after just like all of you um i also saw a few clips and i can see why the decline is so sharp the oscars at as content hasn't really evolved at all for the next generation of the audience and what for what that audience considers valuable it's almost impossible to think that we'll continue to spend 3 and a half hours of our time looking at other people sit around posing for cameras there has to be a more interactive way in which a live event is now presented right there has to be a role for the audience that can be present as well whether it's online or present virtually and that to me seems like the only way to save award shows and live performances in general otherwise we're in for even further declining relevance for these shows right who would have thought the grammys would be the most 
watch award show in in a few years time moving on though from the oscars which all which, which was rather easy i came across something called initiative q sort of like a social network based currency which i'm not probably not entirely smart enough to explain to you but i'll try it turns your social network into money how no one really knows but it's something that has been in beta for a while and one of my school whatsapp groups um, there's that one guy who always sends offensive forwards this time around he sent a link to try this out and i had time on my hands so i did and while i did i read a little bit more about this right initiative q felt like a ponzi scheme to me the promise of initiative q that got me to sign up with my throwaway email account was that it's a social network which will be valuable if the network is vast so join in now to make your money and invite your friends so that they add more money to you as well sounds like an mlm scheme to you right a multi level marketing scheme but this one feels like a mlm scheme wrapped up in tech jargon to make it feel like bitcoin but not really bitcoin as i read more about the product and and i found out what the history of it really has been i've realized that the world is still way too far away for a for such a direct way of monetizing social capital and so we must continue with our current and inexact ways of influencer marketing i guess speaking of which there has been a spate of social media backlash over the past few weeks against a few creators and it's been an interesting moment in woke social discourse but that's a conversation for another day to close this episode out i want to talk to you about grief in the marvel cinematic universe and this feels like an apt moment to do it You remember Avengers Endgame spoilers ahead but the climax scene where Iron Man sacrifices himself to save the world all we are left with as emotional residue is some crying and some somber faces at a funeral and an I love you 3000 that's it after the seemingly narcissistic hero who started the Marvel saga what 20 years ago uh, 20 films ago uh, has just given up his life to save the future of the world which is a problematic trope but he just did it right and that's been the emotional thrust of the entire show he gives up his life to save uh, the future of the world tries to br- bring everyone back by snapping his fingers and he does all we have is a few minutes of we sad before everyone goes on with their own life and we sort of never to speak of this ever again except for in a spider-man movie i think compared to this the show wonder vision is an entire expanded elegy on the grief of a woman who sees the love of her life kill in front of her twice and what a canvas of grief it is she recreates from her own memories and her own experiences and her own powers um, an entire life where she can relive living with the love of her life and it just feels like a very poignant show for the moment that we're all in and it's just really brought together uh, very nicely by Marvel it's not the greatest tv show no that's that's not what i'm saying but compared to the kind of depth we are used to in superhero movies a web series like wandavision uh, sort of claiming new ground for mainstream superhero shows as drama pretty much in the vein of vein of the watchmen um i thoroughly enjoyed watching wandavision and i'm planning to watch it again so i can completely erase the memory of tenet from my mind and that's our episode thank you for sticking till the end i appreciate your time and i do feel better after recording this if you think i should do more solo episodes let me know on the socials look for kanabar k a n a b a r and you'll find me or you can look for my handle ashcharya fakit or talk to us at the ivm podcast handle this is vinith kanabar saying goodbye please stay safe wash your hands and avoid crowds